let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Psalms 148. And this should conclude our studies in the Psalms tonight. I've said that a time or two, haven't I? But uh, maybe we'll really do it tonight. So, this is a call to universal praise in this 148th Psalm. And we'll see all the various avenues that were called upon uh, and the reasons for universal praise. No place is too high for praises of the Most High. It says, Praise ye the Lord, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. So even from the heavens, it says, not to the heavens, but from the heavens. And all this praise is distinctly and personally for Jehovah, the Lord. The praise starts in heaven. In fact, we're told when we read in Luke's Gospel, you know, when the lost sheep was found, that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. So heaven takes knowledge of what goes on here, and there's praise not only directly for God, what, for what he has, has in the heavens in this uh, great host of angels and celestial beings, but there's also praise that arises to heaven from this earth. But the praise starts in heaven. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. And then in, in verse 2 it says, Praise ye him all his angels. Praise ye him all his hosts. The angels are called upon to praise God. In Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, it says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders. And the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. So we find that in glory, not only the redeemed, Verse 9 says, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. But then not only the redeemed will be praising God in heaven, but the angels and the hosts, the heavenly hosts, thousands of thousands. So in this psalm it says in verse 2, Praise ye him, all his angels... Praise ye him, all his hosts. When we think of the hosts, or the great number of celestial beings, there are celestial beings as well as terrestrial here on the earth, but we think of the celestial beings in the presence of God. We're told of living creatures in the book of Revelation. We're told of certain angels that are named, Michael and uh, Gabriel and various angels that have special names and of great power. And then the Bible says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister uh, for them who shall be, to them who shall be heirs of salvation? They are flames of fire who made his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So the angels are called upon to praise God. We're not to worship angels, by the way. There's a lot of angel worship today going on that's not scriptural. In fact, it's, it's getting to be a real popular thing, this angel worship. And Paul warns us against it. He says, those things are vainly puffed up by your fleshly mind. And you know, a lot of people uh, get ideas of who they're to worship and how they're to worship. And it, it really comes from their fleshly mind instead of the, the uh, word of God. The Bible tells us, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The apostles wouldn't permit uh, people to fall down before them and worship them. Uh, John uh, fell down in the book of Revelation before an angel. An angel says, I'm a minister just like you. And he says, get up. And yet we find men today falling down before other men to worship, don't we? Which is wrong. 
And the heavenly bodies are called upon, uh, invited to join in praise. Notice verse 3 says, Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. See, at the end, we started with, I uh, think, one, verse, uh, Psalm 146. At the end of the book of Psalms, all of it has to do with praise and hallelujah and giving God all praise Him for His excellent glory. In fact, that's a part of some of the things we'll run across before we finish our teaching tonight, is praise Him for His excellent glory. And I was just looking in the hymn book, I believe it's page 68, where we sing the song, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Crown Him, crown Him, prophet and priest and king. And then the last part says, for his excellent glory. And so the, the chorus. So here we'll find that before we get through. So all of the, all of creation is as if they're uh, able to vocally uh, praise God. We know that the sun doesn't speak. The moon doesn't speak. But it says, praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise ye him, all stars of light. So everything gives glory to God. Well, if everything of his creation gives glory to him, how much more the children of men for whom he has provided salvation, redemption by the blood of Christ, and eternal life in the hereafter? How much more should all of us sing praises to God and give him all the glory? In verse 4, praise him, ye heavens of he- the heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. See the heavenly bodies and then... The highest heaven where God's throne is, is united in praise. The waters above the heavens. Then it says in verse 5, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. See, everything was created and formed by the Lord. He created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is, the Bible says. And everything that is in existence is due to praise God. All heaven united in praise. It says, verse 5, let them praise the name of the Lord. Let them. It says, he created them. In verse 6, he hath also established them forever and ever. Why should all of his creation unite in praise? Let them. He created them. Established them. And by the way, he controls them. All the winds and the waves and the hurricanes. There's one coming off the coast. East Coast now. But God is in control of it. All the investigation, all the tracking of the hurricane cannot change what God is going to do with it. You know, God has a purpose in all these things. The Bible tells us He has His way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds or the dust of His feet. The next verse says, uh, uh, the last part of that verse says, He hath made a decree which shall not pass. God has set certain laws of this creation in actions so that everything will work properly. If it were not for the decrees that God has made concerning all of his creation, it would all fall into chaos, wouldn't it? We'd have things hitting the earth and the, and the sun and the moon and the stars if it was all out of kelter and did not have a systematic uh, establishment and decree that God has put in, in force. It wouldn't work. It's like our little planet earth. We're sitting out here in space and he set the earth upon nothing. He founded the earth upon nothing. It's, we say it's uh, revolving on its axis, and we make a turn every 24 hours, and therefore we have daylight and uh, night. And God has seen to it through all the time of creation that it's worked in that exact way. And nothing prevents it from working as he has decreed it to work. And all the other things, and I'm not that much to understand all the movement of all the planets and the sun, the moon, and the stars, but I do know that they work as God has 
has commanded them and decreed that they would work. In verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth. Now see, first of all, we said praise the Lord from the heavens, from the heavens in verse 1. Now it says praise the Lord from the earth. comes down to the earth is called upon to join in heavenly praises. And then it says, ye dragons and all deeps. If the dragons are the, the great sea monsters, then how much more all the fishes, all the kinds of uh, everything in creation, in the sea, is to praise God. If the mighty monsters of the sea owe tribute to the Creator, so do all other of the fishes of the sea. Remember one time God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah when he was cast overboard. And then the elements respond to his touch and command. Look at verse 8. It says, fire and hail, snow and vapors, stormy wind, fulfilling his what? Word. They do exactly as God has commanded. Fulfilling his word. What would it be without fire and hail and snow and vapors and stormy wind? And then it says, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and cedars. Mountains and hills and trees can praise him. Fruitful trees and cedars. Look, not only the trees that bear fruit, but the trees of the forest. Everything in creation is called upon to praise God. Verse 10, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl. Animals, creeping things and fowl can do and do bring praise to him. The fierce animals and the tame animals. If all the fierce animals praise him and the tame animals and everything is in subjection to the Creator, but man. The Bible says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Man, and we hid his our, where our faces from him. Man is the rebellious creature. Remember when Jesus was on the little ship in the midst of the storm, and he was asleep on a pillow, and they began to cry out, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he came upon the deck of the ship, and he said to the winds and the waves, Peace be still, and there was a great calm. Even the elements were subject to Jesus, and men are rebellious against God. I had a funeral yesterday, and you see some people wanting the Lord, and others in different categories in life, the way they react and respond. But God is over all, and why should we be rebellious to God? That's why we're told that before Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mountains and hills and trees and animals and creeping things and fowl and all mankind. Look, in verse 11, it finally comes to man. Kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth. comes down to man, doesn't it? Notice it started in the heavens, came right on. It's, it includes the sun, the moon, the stars. comes on down now to kings of the earth and all people. Below kings and then princes and all judges of the earth. And then verse 12, both young men and maidens, old men and children. All of mankind is required to praise the Lord. He's, the psalmist has reached down to men now from heaven. He started in the heavens, came down through the, all the solar system, all the sun and the moon and the stars. And he came down to the earth and he came down to the, the creation of this earth and even into the seas and then the mountains and the hills and the beasts and all cattle and creeping thing and then the kings of the earth and now both young men and maidens old men and children by the way old men with their wisdom and experience can teach young ones to praise the Lord but the enthusiasm and the and the vigor and the life of children can cause the older men to praise the Lord you see we need the whole family how much 
How many times are children of great encouragement to us to, to become alive again and to realize that uh, they have that, that life and vitality that we once had? And then how many times do they ask you questions that you and your wisdom and that experience can tell them some things that they need to know? So it all works. Look, look at what you find in verse 12. Both young men and maidens, old men and children. You see, you have all ages and all sexes. Men and women, boys and girls, young and old. See, that's what makes up the church. Is infants, is children, is young people, is older people. That's what makes up the church. And everyone is necessary to the help of the other. I've seen some people say, well, that person's too, too little to understand anything. And then they'll say, that, well, that person's too old to do anything. How do you know? As long as God's left them here on this earth, there's a purpose for each and every one of us being here. And if we'll try to fulfill that till the Lord calls us home, it will be a blessing to others. And only as we try to serve Him and fulfill our purpose for Him will it be a blessing. And it tells us uh, that, uh, then in verse 13, let them, notice, let them. God is not a forceful being. He does not force us to do anything. He permits us. We preach Sunday on Jesus said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But he doesn't force himself upon And then he says, ye will not come unto me that ye might have life. So those that would not come, he says, whither I go ye cannot come. You cannot because you would not. And if you will, you can. And I will give you life. And that's the way it works. He doesn't force himself upon anyone. And sometimes we try to force uh, the Lord and, and the salvation that He has to offer upon individuals, and it won't work. They have to be willing to accept it. And until, if first there be a willing mind, if, there, uh, if there's a willing heart, and what good would it for, do for you to force a confession upon someone that didn't mean it? Because God looks on the heart anyway, doesn't He? He doesn't look on what they say outwardly. They can say anything to get rid of you, and a lot of times they will. Don't force confessions on, on people. Let the Holy Spirit convict them of their need, and when they see it, they'll be willing to accept the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And if it's not, it's not going to be any good anyway. So it says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent. Praise Him, praise Him, for His excellent glory, as the psalm says. His glory is above the earth and heaven. Now it includes both the earth and heaven, doesn't it? So his people have great reason to praise him. Look in verse 14. He also exalteth the horn of his people. That means he lifts up the power that they need. The horn is horn speaks of power. The praise of all his saints, even of the children of Israel. Not only all his saints, but even the children of Israel, the people near unto him, praise ye the Lord. Let's look at the next psalm. 149. We want to finish these two. They're very short. 149 and 50. Uh, the first one has nine verses. The next one, six verses. And this will in conclude our studies in the psalm. And here we have a new song. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song in His praise in the congregation of the saints. Okay? This is the call for congregational praise. And it says, sing a new song. Remember, they'll sing a new song in heaven. We read that a little bit ago, Revelation 5. In verse 9 it says, And they sung a new song, saying... But it's a new song of redemption, and yet people sing songs of redemption here upon this earth, but there's going to be a new song of redemption in heaven. But it will be fashioned after the old song of this earth. You see, we, we sing the song, the old rugged cross. We sing rock of ages, cliff for 
Thee let me hide myself in Thee. We sing songs of redemption, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and the Scripture teaches redemption. And then what we've experienced here on earth is going to be carried over into heaven. And then we'll have a new song with new vitality. And it will be a song of redemption. For thou wast slain, we'll look back to the death of Christ, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. We'll recognize that his salvation is spread across the whole earth. And that at that time we're made kings and priests unto God. And we shall reign upon the earth. And so there'll be reason to sing a new song. Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints. The call for congregational praise. By the way, we can't rule out congregational praise. We all need to sing together. It's good to have a few specials. Two or three specials is fine. But we don't want to rule out congregational praise because all of us need to participate. Every person in the church needs to participate. And even if we can't sing like some of us, we can at least try. And one of these days when we get to glory, maybe the Lord will straighten it out and we'll sing in harmony better. We'll all do pretty good then. We'll be more capable of it, won't we? But right now we do the best we can. But anyway, the Bible says singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, right? So it's what comes from the heart. And, of course, we don't want to be so off-key we disrupt the whole harmony. But, on the other hand, do the best we can. And it usually works out pretty good, doesn't it? So it says, And his praises in the congregation of the saints. And that's where you have real fellowship, is it when all the... Sing, it says, sing for it's the fittest method of expressing reverential praise. Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and praise in the congregate, his praise in the congregation of the saints. Verse 2 says, let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Why should Israel rejoice? Because he's their maker and he's their ruler, their king. Israel of old was made. Not only physically, but he called them a, a nation out of among other nations. And then uh, also, he is their king, he's their leader, he's their ruler, and he should be ours too. And then, verse 3 says, Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with a timbrel and harp. These two verses, there's another one in the 150th Psalm. Verse 4, just glance over at it. Praise Him with a timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. And this is talking about being joyful. As Miriam, remember in the book of Exodus when they were delivered from Egypt, it says uh, in verse 20, uh, let's see if I can find it. Yeah, verse 20, And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. They were just jumping around with joy. It doesn't justify carnal actions and dance. And especially, you remember John the Baptist lost his head as uh, the daughter of Herodias danced before Salome, danced before Herod, just because he promised to give anything up to the half of his kingdom. And she said, I want the head of the Baptist on a platter. And so he was beheaded. And the king was sad because of the oath that he had made. And he was sad because he had to do it, but he had to keep his word. You know, if, if good men would be as 
honorable about keeping their word for good things as that king was for wicked things. I mean, he, he was going to keep his word. And he didn't really want to do that. His wife and the, and the daughter was the one that persuaded him to do it. But he was drunk and didn't know any better. Lost all of his sense of reasoning and understanding. And that's what it will do for you. My, how many homes and hearts it breaks. And yet we still glorified in our society today. And the fellow that says anything about it is, you know, kind of naive or a black number or doesn't understand anything. Verse 21 says, And Miriam answered them, Singing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And so they rejoiced in that particular instant. There are some times of, of uh, great blessings and joys that come to us that it makes us want to shout for joy and to rejoice, and even physically. And that's what was happening there. And so back in our Psalm 149, verse uh, 4 says, For the Lord taketh pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Why should we rejoice? Why should we praise? Because He taketh pleasure in His people. He will beautify us. He will beautify us not with an outward beauty, but He'll beautify us with peace and with contentment and with joy and with holiness and with influence. He will beautify your life so that you may not be the best looking person in the world, but you'll be beautified with the things of God. God is able to make you have an inward beauty that comes forth from within that expresses itself in your life day by day. And so that your light will shine. And that's the important thing. That's the important thing. Remember Jesus when he was transfigured before them. The beauty came out from within, didn't it? The Bible says when they beheld him, there is no beauty that they desired him. The outward appearance was not that way, but the inward appearance was. Notice the next verse. It says, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Not only in glory, we can sing in anticipation of future glory. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Upon their places of rest now, they anticipate the future glory. Let, look at the next verse now. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. What can they do? They are not only worshipers, the high praises of God in their mouth, but the two-edged sword in their hand. God's people not only worship, but they war. You see, we worship the Lord, and yet we war for the Lord. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So the weapons of our... We do have weapons of warfare. If a Christian doesn't realize he's a warrior, the Bible says, as good soldiers, what are we to do? We're to take courage. Uh, we're told in Ephesians 6 to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places or in the heavenly. And it tells us to put on that whole armor of God. So we are in a battle. There's never a time that you and I try to do anything for God that the devil's not fighting against it. And if he's fighting against it, we have to keep our senses and keep our eyes on the goal and keep praying and keep working and keep true to the word. And then he'll give us the victory. The Bible says, your adversary, the devil, as a ruin, listen, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Someone says, well, what am I going to do? He's going to get me. It says, whom resists steadfast in the faith. You just keep steadfast in the faith. And he says, he goes on to say, Peter's telling us that this same problem is faced by your brothers, that all the brethren. Look in First Peter chapter 5 and you'll find that. Look, it might be good if you'd read it. 
First Peter chapter five, and we'll come back in just a moment. We'll try to hurry. First Peter chapter five and verse uh, <clears throat> verse uh, eight says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour." That's not the end of the sentence. Notice. In punctuation, you have some more things said. That's a colon there, isn't it? Then it says, whom resist, steadfast in the faith. That's not the end of it either. It says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, period. So you know that you're to resist steadfast in the faith, and you know you're not alone in fighting the battle. That others have to experience this as well as you do. All right, let's get back to our psalm now. It says... Um, in verse 6, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged uh, sword in their hand. Verses 7 through 9 tell us, tells us about uh, how the Lord will execute vengeance. And we're, Israel was literally of old called upon to execute vengeance upon certain heathens. But we're not told to do that. Actually, we're not to be executors of justice, but be heralds of mercy and of the gospel. But here, to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. So nowadays we leave that up to God and he will let us share in his triumphs as he brings judgment upon those that deserve the judgment. I want you to look at the last one, Psalm 150. We have about eight or ten minutes to give you this one. It says, Praise ye the Lord. See, it's continually. The last, from Psalm 146 through the end. These psalms are psalms of praise. The hallelujah psalms were called. The psalmist does not stop to argue, to teach, or to explain. But he cries with burning words to praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. This is a call for universal praise. In his sanctuary. It says, Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Notice two things. In His sanctuary and in the firmament. In the heavens, actually. He has a holy dwelling place. His sanctuary. Jesus came one time and dwelled upon this earth and tabernacled among us. In the person of Christ there was a sanctuary. In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of His saints. For He says, where two or three gathered together, my name there, am I in the midst of them. And all things in heaven and all things in earth are called upon to praise Him. Look at verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. That's exact the words of the, of the uh, uh, song that we referred to a little bit ago. According to His excellent greatness. So evidently the songwriter wanted a scriptural song, didn't he? Praise Him for His mighty acts. God's deeds call for great praise. And great deeds call for great praise. His mighty acts of creation, His mighty acts of providence, and His mighty acts of redemption. If you think of God's mighty acts of creation, of His works of old, you think of the things that He's done in the days of Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Moses and all the Old Testament patriarchs and the prophets and the kings, and we see mighty acts all through the Old Testament. We see the mighty acts in the New Testament of Jesus and in the book of Acts, and then Paul gives us instructions especially about the things that God will do in and through His church as they remain here upon the earth. The acts of salvation, that's a mighty act, isn't it? To, to work out in the council halls of eternity the plan of salvation and to fulfill all that was necessary to provide it for man. We sing a song, Oh, the grace, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Well, that's fine. You know, you've got a plan. But oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. Where? 
at Calvary. So if it were not for Jesus coming down from heaven and the cross of Calvary where He died for our sins and the fact that uh, He made atonement for our sins, He sacrificed Himself, He became our sin bearer, and He went to the grave and rose again for our justification. If it were not for these acts, these mighty acts, to provide salvation, where would we be? You know, if Jesus had not died, I have a sermon on if Jesus had not died. If Jesus had not died. Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. And he was referring to his death. It abideth alone. Did you know heaven would be a mighty lonely place if Jesus hadn't died? There wouldn't be anybody there. Because it absolutely of necessity took the death of Christ to redeem one soul from this earth. And even though the Old Testament it was... Uh, in the Old Testament, there was saved by faith. It was by faith and looking forward to Christ's death, just like we look back to it. They had to believe that God was going to provide for their salvation by blood redemption. Maybe they didn't understand it all. I was asked how much you have to understand. You don't have to understand everything. Little boys and girls can accept Jesus and be saved, just like we had Sunday morning. And uh, they have to know that they need to be saved, that they're a sinner, and they need to trust Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to save them. And then they're told that baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. And they're told that baptism identifies themselves publicly and openly with the Lord. And so they're very simply instructed to be baptized. But they don't know all about election and predestination and foreordination and about the preexistence of Christ and all of these things. Maybe they don't understand all that. Most people, it takes a lifetime to begin to understand some of those things. And sometimes we never understand all of those. But still, they're saved by grace through faith. And people wonder about how much you have to know. You don't have to know all that much. You do have to know your sin. And you, you do have to know that Jesus is the Savior. And you do, do need to know some further in, uh, instructions as you're instructed to be baptized. You need to know further things as you're taught. In the, that's, why they have the, that's why in the Great Commission, Jesus said, make disciples. And then he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then he says, teaching them. So the teaching and the learning experience is from then on. And we'll never cease to learn. Paul, even when he knew he was going to be beheaded, he says uh, to Timothy, bring the books and especially the parchments. And he knew that his time was short. But he was going to be a student till the day of his death. And if you think a preacher finds it all in the seminary and he's through studying, you know, he's already prepared and he just goes out and all he has to do is preach. I had a lady one time say, you know, my wife told a certain lady she called up and she said, well, Wayne's in there in the study. He's preparing his sermon. She says, well, I thought he learned how to preach in the seminary. You know, you can tell how much is going on up there when someone thinks that. I thought he learned how to preach in the seminary. My, my. Hell, but it's amazing. But anyway, I better not get into that. I really would start chasing rabbits, wouldn't I? Okay, praise Him for His mighty acts. His act of creation, His act of redemption, His acts in providence. God takes care of us day by day. His act of uh, salvation, the purpose and plan of it, of providing for justification, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. His act of glorification, that we're already glorified, though we, don't, we haven't experienced it uh, experimentally. But he says, those that he justified, them he also glorified. Well, someone said, well, I'm not yet glorified. God says you are in his sight. It's already done because it's going to be done. And that's the way he sees you. He's also glorified. And then his 
the act of incarnation, that the, the Heavenly Father would bring His only begotten Son down into this world by being born of Mary, a virgin, born of a woman. The incarnation, the deity of Christ, that Christ came down from heaven. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in the same chapter, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So Christ came down from heaven. He preexisted. In Micah 5, verse 2, it says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall he come forth, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose, listen, the last part, whose goings forth have been from of old. The word means from everlasting, from the days of eternity. So that one that was laid in Bethlehem's manger did not have his beginning. That person, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the promised one. He was with God in the beginning, was with God. And we believe that He is God manifest in the flesh. And if we don't believe that, we just, well, shut up our book and go home. And there's a lot of people say it doesn't make any difference. It makes as much difference between heaven and hell. It makes as much difference between salvation and, and not having salvation. It makes as much difference between the uh, verbal inspiration of the Scriptures and it just being another book. It makes a difference in almost anything you can think of as far as God is concerned. And salvation is concerned. And as far as eternal life is concerned. Alright, let's go on with this. It says, Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the psalter in the harp. Now, all kinds of musical instruments are called upon to praise Him. Notice the trumpet is a loud sounding. And this calls men to battle. This calls men to assemble. This calls men in the Old Testament. They use the trumpet for different calls. Praise Him with a, with a psalter and harp. Different kinds of instruments. Praise Him with a timbrel and dance. Praise Him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him with the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. So all kinds of instruments. The trumpet, the loudest, the stringed instruments, and the high-sounding cymbals. All of all of that God has put into our hands is to be used to praise the Lord. And if we use it in, vulgar, in a vulgar sense, it's not giving God the glory. And then all of creation is called on to praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let everything that hath breath. We're talking about that God has given uh, animal life breath. And all of creation, including animal creation, they cannot praise God with their mouths like we do. But they, they do show praise to God because of their life. The very life they have is a praise to God. And the very life that we have, all creation is called upon Him who is worthy of our praise, and He's worthy of the praise of all men, and especially of all the redeemed. And we read in Revelation 5, verses 9 through 12, where the redeemed will sing a song of praise in uh, glory in, in that book of Revelation, the fifth chapter. Well, we thank you for your patience and your kind attention.